0: Hi, I'm Jordi Casabijana, I'm an ethical vegan from the UK, and I am with Soulful (laughs) Legans.
1: Hey, everybody, this is Sean Russell, host of the SoFlo Vegans podcast, as well as founder of the SoFlo Vegans community. Be sure to check us out by going to SoFloVegans.com. On this episode, we have Jordi Casamajana joining us to talk about his brand new book, Ethical Vegan A Personal and Political Journey to Change the World. And Also, in this episode, we talk about his landmark court case that made ethical veganism a protected belief in the United Kingdom, and this has gone on to do a lot of other cool things around the globe, and he gets into that on this podcast. We previously interviewed him for an article around the time of the court case in 2019, so it was exciting to catch up and find out everything that's been going on, as well as learn more about the book, so be sure to check out that full conversation and then right after we have a spotlight with dina's vegan deli and desserts in riviera beach florida so much to tune into so much great knowledge to walk away with and make sure you stay all the way to the end to find out what's happening in our community and with that being said let's roll into our interview with Jordi Castellana. On the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I am Sean Russell, host and founder of SoFlow Vegans. And today, before I introduce my guest, I'm gonna just just gonna create some anticipation here. I want to introduce our co-host for this episode, who is a longtime supporter of SoFlow Vegans, recent member, actual council member. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the future. And we have Lauda. Say go ahead and say hi to everybody, Lauda.
2: Hello, everyone. And thank you so much, Sean, for having me on for this interview. I'm really excited. And I'm excited to be a part of SoFlow Vegans. So thank you.
1: And you know what, this is, if you've ever listened to the podcast in the past, listeners, you know that I love to let our co-hosts introduce the guests. So, Lauda, let our listeners and viewers in on who our guest is.
2: So, this is Jordy. Jordi, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to be, yes, I'm so happy to, to be speaking with you. Um, we're going to be talking about the the case we're going to be talking about just everything about what's been going on in your new book that's coming out too so we'll we'll get into everything we'll get into everything soon
1: so so thank you so much and and Jordi Casamijana how do you say your last name Casamijana
0: Casamijana
1: Casimijana, Casimijana. Okay, I got it Um, for now. Uh, So no, but just to give people a bit of a backstory, I reached out and connected with Jordi back in 2019. And this was around the time that you were in the middle of the case. We didn't even, at the time of our back and forth, the case hadn't even concluded yet. And then I was sitting on it for a little bit. And then great news. And we'll go into this a little bit, but um, just really briefly um, let our listeners know about the significance of what happened.
0: Yes. Well, essentially, uh, without me planning it, I was involved in a legal case, in a litigation here in the UK. I live in the UK, uh, where as a consequence of my litigation, something major happened uh, in the vegan world because it never had happened before anywhere else uh, as far as we know which is that ethical veganism become accepted legally accepted as a protected philosophical belief under uh, uk law under the equality act 2010 and that came from my case in which i was fired because i was a vegan i i took legal action to my former employer to the employment tribunal and after two years of litigation uh eventually uh, the case was, was settled in my my side, in my favour, but through that process, uh, the, the courts in, 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 in the UK had to establish whether the belief I claim I was being discriminated uh, against was a protected belief, and following a normal process in which we, is a legal case, a pre-hearing, the judge uh, in the 20th of January 2020 determined that yes, ethical veganism is a protected philosophical belief and never has been any any recognition, legal recognition of veganism in the world in any jurisdiction, and this was the first. So everybody in the world paid a huge attention to what happened to me, and I, my face was appearing in, in all sort of media since then, and it hasn't stopped yet.
1: And we definitely wanna dig a little bit deeper into both the before and after of that particular incident and that event, but, let's get started. And we have a tradition on the podcast to get the vegan origin story of our guest. You know, what were those seeds? A lot of times it's seeds that were planted and you eventually became like, what did that journey look like for you?
0: Well, in my case, it took uh, my entire life. I would say that the day I was born is the day I started my journey towards veganism because uh, like me, many people like i grabbed i kept, uh, i kept finding unfair situations where animals were being treated unfriendly and and i didn't know that was okay or not and i'd learn more about this what was going on uh, but there was an event that happened to me that perhaps accelerated that process more than any other which was an encounter with the wasp. I'm a zoologist. I did my degree in zoology in Barcelona. I'm originally from Catalonia, and I'm living in the UK, but I love there. And I started my degree in zoology. Then I wanted to do a, a study of, on the behavior of a animal. I chose wasps. And the first time I approached a nest was nest to observe it and take note. I I had an an, an encounter with a guard that was guarding the outside. That's what they do. Uh, And she looked at me. I recognized that she had seen me. And rather than raising the alarm and sting me as as it would be the right thing to do uh, as I was a huge uh, potential threat, judged me right and and realized that I was not a threat and allowed me to keep watching. And since that day, I realized, wow, there is something very wrong that we're doing here. This tiny one-inch person has judged me correctly, and yet I grew up in a world because I grew up in Catalonia that was oppressed under the a, a fascist regime at the time. So people seem very oppressive and, and, and judge me wrong all the time, and yet that one tiny individual, uh, uh, one inch tall, judged me right, and I realized, okay, we need to change our relationship with the animals. And I started to study them, but the more I studied them, the more I wanted to protect them. And and I moved into animal protection, where I still wasn't a vegan. And, and it took me a few years working with monkeys and me into the UK, learning more, eventually knocking my head in an accident and decided I wanted to write a book and go into an island and I spend 23 days in the North Sea in winter in isolation. And, Coming from that island, you realize, okay, now I can't just help one animal and need another or help one animal and what another I need to become a vegan. And about twenty years ago I became a vegan.
1: And I know um I know Lauda, you were you had um brought up something off off the show regarding that particular chapter in terms of uh fascination with the wasps and that experience. Did you have anything that you wanted to speak into with that?
2: Yeah, when I was reading that, I just found that like fascinating. Um, like how you just had this like profound experience just like studying the wasps and how you kind of like saw that they were not so different than other animals and uh how we are as humans, like socially.
0: I think one of the, the consequences of, of of the of the importance of this beings is the my precon my ideas before my uh, my prejudices against was we all had them sure. tiny dangerous animals that go and sting okay. you and, and when you're in a picnic pig- people run away what people normally do either they kill them or they move their hands, so it's all, they never think about who they are, they just see them as a threat. So I was studying them for a the time, I was afraid, obviously, because I knew all the potential dangers, and being stunned by many was big dangerous, so if you get close to a nest, it's a dangerous thing to do, but that was what I wanted to do as a biologist, as a zoologist, so I had to get used to it. So my first tension and preconceived ideas were very different from my experience. And that difference is what made that whole experience quite huge to me, the surprise of what I was seeing. Was, it's not uh, accidental that was created this reactivity because they're social animals like we are. So there are many things similar to us, but of course, if, if we don't pay any attention to them, you just I see a tiny thing moving around. But when I look at them and, and they, they, they behave, they have individuals, mm-hmm. they have jobs, they, they have a society with a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. All the things that we normally see in humans, when you see them in a tiny individual, then you realize the similarities. And of course, it's easy to get uh, connected with a chimpanzee or even a dog or a cat. We all mammals, will have facial expressions that are, allow us to understand what they think. But seeing an animal that you'd never expected to have anything in common, have so many things in common, including the capacity to judge, judge correctly, use information, use the brain, Analyzed my potential danger, I realized that my behavior was consistent with a peaceful, peaceful, uh, uh, peaceful creature, not a threat. All that level of intelligence is it, so similar to ours, and that revelation made me uh, remember the experience as a, a very significant. And of course, from that point onwards, I look at all animals, bigger or smaller, in a different eye. And never seen an animal which I did not see. But similarity at one degree or another; hence, the idea of veganism is not "don't hard dogs, don't hard chicken," is "don't hurt any animal, all sentient."
2: Absolutely.
1: So, so I want us to go back to the the court case. I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast let's look at the beginning of it. And then I want to go to like the aftermath and catch up with you on a couple of things that have happened. You have a new book that's released, that's going to be launched um, by the time you're listening to this in the United States. So you can definitely pick it up. We'll talk about that, but let's take us to what led to the court case in the first place As you know, as much information as you could provide, because I know there might be some sensitive things there. Um, what, What brought you to that point where, you know it's like okay yes this is something i want to take to the courts i felt like i was fired unjustly and so on and so forth
0: sure yeah obviously there's many details about my case in my book because my book explains his stories one of them is my case but it all started with an email an email i received from uh the pension provider that my employer had out to enroll me it was all this story had to do with pension? i had joined an animal protection organization i'd been working Sometimes as freelance, sometimes as an employee of animal protection organizations. And at that time, I joined an anti-hunting organization uh, as a head of policy and research. And in the UK, when you join any company or any organizations, the company has to auto-enroll you in a pension fund that is chosen by the employer. After three months, so three months after joining the organization, I received email saying, you have now been out-enrolled to this pension fund. And as a vegan, anytime I buy something, I read the label to be sure that it's suitable for me. Anytime I go somewhere, I, I research to be sure there is no connection with animal exploitation. And every time I got a financial product, including a pension fund, I want to know where the money is going to be invested. To. So I looked into that pension fund to see where the money was going to be invested, and I was surprised to realize that was invested in the worst possible companies, in my view. Uh, because they were all pharmaceutical companies that test on animals, tobacco companies, uh, fossil fuel companies—the companies that I would consider unethical for an ethical vegan like myself—but mm-hmm. also surprised for an animal protection organization having chosen such uh, pension fund. So, I immediately complained to my my bosses, who then seemed surprised because they blamed the previous management that had chosen that fund, not
1: them. And they
0: said that they would change it because it made no sense. There were all the vegans like myself in the organization that didn't know this. Uh, so, after a year going back and forwards in which they said they would change it, but they didn't change it, at one point, just to cut the story short, I wanted to communicate to my colleagues what was the situation. Situation was that it had not been changed, I continued to be the wrong one for an ethical point of view. That each uh, employee could choose to change it and choose an ethical fund because they do exist. That pension provider had several versions of funds that with the label ethical they could choose. There were nine, Uh, but of course, you need to know that there are nine. I told them all this information to my colleagues, not to the world, just my colleague. But because of that communication, I was fired Uh, and I was quite surprised and shocked. And after looking into this, I realized that because of the wording of the letter of dismissal and because of the recordings in my disciplinary hearing, I was disciplined first and then fired. uh, They were mentioning my ethics, how my ethics were clouding my judgment I should not have communicated this to my colleagues. And I realized, well, they actually fired me because I'm a vegan. My ethics, my veganism, my veganism is what made me to look into this, is what made me to complain, is what made me to tell my colleagues vegan colleagues. So I decided to take my former employer to the employment tribunal, you know, which is what you do when you want to claim unfair dismissal. But then I realized that there, w- there was uh, no precedent of anybody having done that with the belief of veganism. The law in, in question is the Equality Act 2010. This is one that says it is unlawful to discriminate, victimize or harass anybody because of a serious or because of having a what in the UK is called a protective characteristic, in, in America is called a protected class, uh, like age, disability, sexual orientation, marital sex, status, religion. But in the UK law, it also has philosophical belief, means a non-religious belief, but it doesn't define which. Uh, and I thought, well, organism is a philosophical belief, but the way the system, the way it works, is every time there is a belief that hasn't been tested yet, a judge has to look into the belief see if it fulfills a series of characteristics and then if it does then from that point onwards, was we'll declared that that belief is within the quality of, therefore is protected so i was the first one therefore i had to go through that process and then i, I was uh, quite surprised that what it was initially just a personal case to try to, to correct or wrong from my own jobs now become this uh, important uh, responsibility because if the judge decided that no veganism was not protected, all vegans will be negatively affected because of my case. And contrary, if the judge said yes, then all veganism will be benefited because of that. It became much bigger than this. And because I had no money, I could not pay my legal fees, uh, I decided to crowdfund, uh, and and because I was crowdfunded, and engage other vegans to support me, because now it was not just my case, it was every, every vegan in the case. And so that was the genesis of, of my going to
1: court. So that brings us to the point where the case happens. It's just, you know you you win the case, and um, that's where we kind of left off on Soulflow Vegans. It was like a great feel good. You we took went through this journey, got the backstory. The case happens. You win the case. Now take us to what happened after that. You know what did. You know, what happened after that
0: yeah uh, well essentially my case was divided in two parts one is this first hearing which in which the judge had to determine whether veganism was protected and uh if the consequence of that here was that yes it was in my case would progress to the next phase in which I was then to test whether i was discriminated because of that belief, because i could have been fired for other reasons so i want to to the two sides the first one the judge said yes and the second eventually we settled we, we, it was a 10 days trial, uh, the fifth day, uh, because we, it was winning, uh, uh, we arrived to settlement in my favor, was compensated economically, etc. And, and that meant, so it was the first time that that protection had uh, is a result, somebody won a, a case. And from that point, because it was very publicized everywhere and all, uh, there were many consequences of this. Many, many companies started to change the way they treated vegans, they realized that if they, they didn't look after their vegan stuff properly, they might be sued and, and lose. So there were, for instance, the fire brigades automatically now issue uh, vegan equipment to the vegan firefighters. Before it was a struggle, now straight away. It? Any schools that would not necessarily provide vegan food to their pupils, or they had to sometimes some did, sometimes it didn't. Now it's easier to get there because any parent can just refer to my case and then often uh, the, the school changes or a hospital not providing vegan food. So it's a huge consequences because the quality act affect not just the work employ, and the, the employment, also affects services, public and private services, hostels, uh, hospitals, schools, pubs, hotels. So every time there is the possibility of a discrimination of a, an employee or, or, or a client or, or a customer, that law kicks in. So therefore now, uh, Vegans have this tool now that if they've been discriminated, they can take legal action, civil, civil law, they can take legal action if they have the resources to do so, or sometimes just threaten the legal action is sufficient to stop mm-hmm. the practice. And as a consequences of the publicity and, and how, uh, and, and the ripples of effect and the domino effect and interest in other countries to try to do the same as well, I decided, well, probably I need to explain this story in detail. I'm going to write a book about it and so people can learn more about it. But since since it happened, I've been giving talks, I've been uh been part of conferences, kind of spread in the news. And many people in other countries are starting to consider perhaps we should do campaigns to, to to achieve the same thing in other countries. So it's all quite exciting.
2: Like most of us vegans we usually say like if you see something wrong you should always speak up about it. And that's exactly what Jordy did. And I think that's very motivating for other people like other vegans to you know stay determined with their beliefs and if they see something wrong you know speak up about it tell somebody about it tell your management because your situation Jordy that's going to make worldwide change and it will definitely inspire people to just in general stick to their beliefs and do something about it so that we can have change so we can have Um, the society that we want as vegans, where we're not exploiting animals and where we can live a life, you know, where we don't have to, you know, deal with these situations like you did at your job. I just think it's really inspiring.
0: Well, the good thing about it is that veganism is an international philosophy. It doesn't really change from culture to culture or country to country. That means my situation, it happens everywhere. Everybody is discriminated, no matter which country you are. If you're vegan, uh, animals are the same. They, it's not that in a country a giraffe is an animal and the other is not an animal. So the whole concepts are universal, and, and discrimination is universal. The only thing that they vary is the laws that protect people from discrimination, and and that is the thing that I was lucky. I, I had a country where I had strong laws that I could use. In other countries, it would be more difficult, but it doesn't mean. It's not impossible. It's a matter perhaps to word the, the court case differently. For instance, in the UK, we have this, this philosophical term. In other countries, they might have the, the term creed. Uh, so you might, in that country, argue that you believe is a creed. And if there isn't any, if there is no animal protection uh, scope or, or vegan scope in the current legislation, well, campaign to change the law. That's the other way to do it. Just make social movement there to change the law and join other social movement because isn't the benefit of everyone Environmentalists, feminists, pacifists to have beliefs other than religious as, as part of, the, of equality law. If you judge religion, it's, it's unfair that you have to be, if you are religious, you're protected, if you're not religious, you're not protected, and yet you might have strong beliefs as a stronger religion. So it's, it would make sense to, to join forces, to serve sort of forces driven by philosophies and beliefs to uh, change the law so, I, uh, so beliefs are then recognized as, as also protected. And then that will be easier to achieve the, what I achieve here in the UK.
1: And to your knowledge, have there been any other um, people from maybe other countries that have tried to do something similar to what you've done? Maybe you've reached out?
0: Many people have reached out none has reached to the to the level of going to core and actually change it. But there's people in Canada, people in Italy, people that they've been trying to do things like that. They've been asking me for advice. I've been sending all the information because all the evidence I produce, I produce more than 1000. 200 pages of evidence is available to everyone. It's public uh, because it was a public hearing, so therefore it's available, and they can use the same evidence. So you don't have to work that hard because I done part of the work, but also sometimes I give advice about uh, the, the strategy. For instance, one important thing in my case is that what he was protected was ethical veganism, not veganism alone as a diet. So just ethical veganism means at the belief uh, that you should not exploit animals, which is how veganism was defined in 1944 by the vegan society. So when you follow the original vegan society definition, then you're an ethical vegan, therefore you protect. But if you just have the diet, but you still uh, uh, participate in the exploitation of animals for entertainment or for clothes or for cosmetics and things like that, that then would you not be protected therefore I, I, from from a point of view of that taken i was successful because i chose the right definition i chose the right words and this sort of advises what what you need to learn if you try to do the same thing in another country see which way maximum to succeed but there's been a lot of interest think, uh, a, a, a lot of um, people uh, 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 assessing whether they are in a position to do the same thing, nothing had reached to my level, but sooner or later it will happen uh, in another country, I'm sure.
1: And hopefully in the United States, uh, mm-hmm. I would love to see, you know, that happen over here, you know. Um, that's a, a case where I would want to be catching up to the UK because that's going to be huge for everybody. Absolutely. Um, and then so, yeah, so I know um, Lauda had a chance to co- read through the book, and she brought up a really good point um, in terms of your childhood and growing up. Do you want to go ahead and uh, address that, um, Lauda? ask that question?
2: I was reading some of it, and I find your book very, very cool. I want to finish reading it, um, so I'm excited when the release is out to the public. I was really interested in your childhood, how you grew up in the 60s, and how you um, you know, people in Spain, Catalan people specifically, how they were being oppressed. And I never knew that any of this happened um, in history. And I just wanted to know more about that, like how that experience was growing up in Spain and, um, you know, being oppressed. You know, I even saw that when you were born that you couldn't even use like a Catalan name to put on your birth certificate. Could
0: you talk more about that? I think that's so interesting. Yeah, sure. So it's, this is the book. It's called Ethical Vegan, Personal and Political Journey to Change the World. And the personal bit of the subtitle is what you're referring to. It's the three stories, the story of my legal case, the story of veganism as a whole, but also the story of me as a person. And it started, as you said, in Catalonia when I grew up under the dictatorship of the General Franco. What happened at the time is before the Second World War, Spain had a civil war in which for one side we had the fascists before uh, the fascism started in Italy and started in Germany already had started in Spain and it was the civil war and the Catalan people, we are Catalonian with different culture, we speak Catalan, we speak Spanish, we had been independent before and through the centuries the Spaniards kept invading us and we tried to get free of them, at that time Catalonia had become independent and there was this coup d'etat from this General Franco who started the Civil War and won. And because he won, he oppressed all the losers, including the Catalans, including the Basque, all the cultures that are not purely Spanish, that we don't have we don't have our Spanish, as well, our mother language. He grew up, and, and, and when the Second World War ended with the fascism of Italy and, and Germany, it didn't end with the fascism of Spain because Spain didn't participate in the Second World War as it had had a civil war itself, and there had no... Uh, military to carry on doing this but that meant this dictatorship lasted 40 years and, and so i grew up in the last uh, few years of that dictatorship and yeah my language was not allowed to be spoken in public places i was stop as a child sometimes while speaking catalan and then somebody would tell me speak christian that would be the way to tell me i was not good enough to uh, to speak uh, the proper spanish language is exactly that what they thought it would it would be. So I the whole culture survived underground. All the traditions survived, but they were illegal, or they had to be done with people looking that nobody's seen us. That's how I grew up. My learning Spanish so, uh, as a guitar uh, in front of the public, but when nobody was looking, learning a Catalan song that was illegal. So that meant, that helped me to be an ethical vegan, because I learned from a childhood, what it means to be oppressed. And who are the most oppressed creatures in the world? The animals that people use. So the empathy that you need to connect with an animal and realize that you should not mistreat it it, it, is something innate, we all have it, but if you had experiences of of being in the position of that animal and the sense of being oppressed in that one degree or another, you will sympathize Easier, you will understand the situation, the relationship easier. So that's why many, many Catalans are uh, mm. vegan actually, because if they grew up with these spheres, they can relate easier. Uh, and uh, But it, many, many people don't know, and it's still Catalonia, is still this part of Spain now, but still Catalonia wants to be independent. There was an attempt to become independent a uh, few months ago, a couple of years ago, and and all the members of the Catalan parliament that made that attempt, now they are in prison because of the Spaniards put them in prison. So that struggle between the Catalans and the Spaniards has lasted since the Middle Ages. And, and I obviously left Spain British, and become British. I'm not connected with that culture anymore. But by end, I was both Spanish. I always was Catalan. But the, my, in, in a way, it's good that I, I maintain my Catalan identity because that reinforced my veganism by, being, uh, by remembering my experience of being oppressed and outside.
1: And, and that brings me to a conversation that we—I ha- have a lot of times with vegans, especially um, vegans that are activists. Um, they're out there and they're, they're at vigils and, and so on and so forth. The impression I get from a lot of people who aren't vegan is that you know vegans are extreme and they're in your face and they're assertive and sometimes like you know frightening at times, and they don't want anything to do with it. And obviously that's not the case. Not everyone's the same in the community. Not everyone is, you know operates and does things with it, and so on and so forth. But that's the impression that a lot of people get. As someone that is on the front lines, and this question could be for you too, Laura What is your impression on that, you know, how people see us as a community? And also, what is our responsibility when it comes to speaking up? for the animals? You know, is it our responsibility to do it however we see fit? Or should we be practicing certain ways of communicating to get the message across? I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that, Jordi.
0: Sure. Well, considering what veganism is, veganism is a philosophy that leads to a lifestyle, uh, but it's a philosophy aimed to do no harm to others. But you don't do it just because of you. I mean, obviously, you, part of it is do no harm to yourself. That's why it's a healthy option. But also do no harm to other human beings and do no harm to other sentient beings, all the animals and the environment. It's this idea of doing no harm. But if you just concentrate to doing no harm in the little decisions you make, you want to stop other people doing harm to the animals and the environment. So there's a, a, a social political dimension of veganism. It's not just a philosophy that you follow. It's also a social movement. And as such, you aim into a better world, a vegan world, where there is no exploitation of animals, of humans and the environment. And to get to the world, you just need to get more people become vegan. And, and you can't just force anyone to follow a philosophy. So they have to naturally be persuaded that that's the right thing to do. So what you do, you are rich. You try to communicate the truth of, the, of how you exploit animals and the environment, the consequences of uh, what happens when you become vegan, how easy it is, uh, the options you have, how to overcome the obstacles, with the hope that more people will become vegan and at one point you reach, you reach a critical mass that will start changing policies and the world improves. But this function to communicate is tricky because, as you just said, some people might be repelled by the idea might be scared by the world, might be thinking that it's very difficult, might be thinking that this is a cult or something like that. So you need to be very clear in destroying all these myths and preconceptions. But how are you going to do it? There's not an easy way to do it. But the important point is it's not about you saying what's right, saying what you believe is. It's to you saying the information that you need to put out there to others understand it and take it on board and adopting that philosophy by themselves, not because they feel forced. Therefore, your message has to be different depending who's listening. The, the audience will determine what you have to say, not you, it's the audience. So you have to feed your, your message to the audience. And if you say something that makes people run away from you, you said the wrong thing. You have to be very careful about what is the things that people get offended about and avoid those. Because it's not up to you to say the truth, it's to you to communicate what people want to listen. And if they don't want to listen because you said something that they don't like, you said the wrong thing. So start to understand how the sensibilities of the people. And that will change from culture to culture, from person to person, from gender to gender. Be, be intelligent, be sensitive about this. And, and think twice. Don't say what you want to say. Think twice. Think twice. In the best possible way to say it, not with intention to force anyone, with intention to help everyone. Everybody could be a vegan. They are often obstacles in their minds. They are not obstacles in their real life. They think they are obstacles. So they need to analyze their life and their choices and be positive about it. And if you do send a message positive, tailored to the audience, respectful, and not crossing any line that, that make them change subject or get offended, then you reach they they heart. And if you do that, you don't have to do anything else because I think the, the, the ability to be veganism within every person is sometimes blocked, it's sometimes uh, buried through a culture or through indoctrination of society. And when you get rid of all these obstacles, it, 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 it flowers naturally. So this idea of doing no harm is not a modern thing. We always had it, we've been suppressing it. And once you remove the suppression, we naturally want, might want to be a vegan, and if you help other people that that have discovered that in their life, by giving them support, by giving them a, a community to join, by giving them uh, products to buy, by giving them an identity to feel comfortable with, then that will happen sooner, uh, and more people will join, and then we'll reach that vegan world, which is what we all want.
1: And and what about you, Lada? What what are what are your what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you you're very active in the community.
2: I mean, I agree with everything that Joy says. It's very true. I mean, I know that some people can see vegan activism, depending on what it is. Some people could see it as extreme. Some people could see it as, you know, very nice and educational. But I, I think that we all have the same goal in mind, which is, you know, animal liberation. We want more people to go vegan. So we all have the same goal, but what Jordi is saying is right, that we also do have to be careful how we present the message to the public, because we could scare people away. We um, There's many ways that this can go. But I think being very clear about it, um, and also being able to relate to people as well, because I know that when I was not vegan, I was kind of repelled by those messages. Like I was like that typical non-vegan that was like annoyed when I saw like, vegan activism or, you know, those cheesy things. But, uh, now as a vegan, since I've been vegan for many years now, I understand that point of view and I always keep that in mind when I talk to non-vegans because I want to make the message clear for them and also give them as much information as possible to kind of like, you know, answer all those questions and all those myths that people have about the vegan lifestyle and the diet and everything that is veganism. So I think that we should continue to do that to relate to people, to give them as much information as possible because we all have that like innate compassion within us for animals. And a lot of people just have so many excuses because it's we're, we're very used to eating animal products, exploiting animals we don't really see it in a different way as non-vegans. So we have to make it very clear and give them as much information as possible. And that's why I think that activism is great. I, I started off doing Anonymous for the Voiceless here in South Florida. I organized for them for many years. And that was a great experience for me because it taught me a lot about how to approach people. It taught me how to outreach Um, to all different kinds of people. And we have a variety of people here in South Florida. So that taught me a lot. And it showed me basically what people need to see. I don't know if you've ever done any AV activism, Jordi, but if you have, you know that showing those pictures and showing those videos to the public, it really makes a difference because a lot of people don't see that. They don't know what's happening behind the scenes when they buy these products. So by having a visual for people and then being able to explain these industries and what they're paying for and that there's alternatives, there's a different way that we can live in order to align our beliefs more with our actions and we can create a better world in that way. I don't know, have you ever done Anonymous for the Voiceless
0: journey? I have I have done many uh, street activism of many types. I've gone through many just to experience because in reality there are many types of activism, and there is one that's going to be the one that fits better your current. And you need to look through and, and check. And, and, and it, it, there's no point to say this is the only one that works. No, it works for you or that that other one works for another people. Sometimes people are angry and they want to be more in a protest because the mood is towards that. Sometimes people are sad. They want to be a visual because the mood is more for that. Sometimes people are very reserved, I like mean, then you want to be in an outreach situation when you argue uh, intellectually with other person. So there are rooms for everyone, including non-street activists, online activism. Uh, there are ways to outreach on many levels, general public, family, friends, college, students, uh, family, uh, that that you could do uh, and but you need sometimes to try and, and see what one you're better at. And, if you, and I did try them all, and for me, the ones that that uh, were better, the ones that involve conversations, conversations yeah. with somebody explaining the logic behind it, because I'm an intellectual person, I'm a scientist, I have a lot of knowledge about ethical veganism. As in my book, a huge part of it is the history of veganism. Many people don't know about these things, So I can uh, put a lot of information on the table and, and reach people that like to have this sort of intellectual conversation.
1: And, and you brought it up a little bit, the book, You know, I want us to get into the book and for you to lay out more about what they can find once they do pick it up. So it should be available once again when you're listening to this, so you can go out and and support. Um, So tell us about the book and um, what we can expect.
0: Yeah, here's the book. I'll show it again. I think I'll begin a personal political journey to change the world. Three stories intertwine the story of my life anything that happened in my life that contributed for me to becoming a vegan. I'm a zoologist. I lived in many places. I've been in the Amazon and more huge stories with animals of all sorts, of all personal relationships I developed with animals in the wild in all places. This is one part. The other part, which is the one the most vegans are like because they didn't know this, is the entire history of veganism, not just from the creation of the world vegan in 1944 by the vegan society, but for the concept of ahimsa, do no harm hundreds of years before the common era millennia ago the whole thing has started in different places in, in greece in the far east in the middle east in india all this concept has been everywhere and has eventually uh, led us to the concept of veganism today but the idea existed and how it was developed who was vegan in the past all that is the, the, the part of the history and finally it is also the, the the case of my, my legal case how it began how it developed all this is intertwined in such a way that it that you, doesn't make it too boring. So when you have a bit of the history and that you might be bored about then it's a little bit more of my case after that. So to make it more easily to read. And this is a part of it, which is also how to be an ethical vegan today. Basically, I describe what I do, what I buy, which choices I make just to Show an example of how in the 21st century somebody can indeed try to live and trying to avoid animal exploitation. Sometimes it's easy. With food, is easy. Sometimes it's difficult. With finance or products, it's difficult. medicines is difficult. See how I overcome the gray areas, how I deal with them. Some I, some I do. I have ideas already. Some I don't. Just show that reality of what it means to be a vegan. And is, is there's another chapter there about the types of vegans they are. The, uh, the anthropology of veganism. There are so many. I identified thirty or odd types of veggie-related people, between vegetarians and vegans, and there are many type of sub-identities, sub-groups, and sometimes people feel comfortable uh, to be part of that sub-label. So I describe them, and I uh, and I show this diversity. So it's a bit of an anthropology of veganism as uh, how diverse we are, history, uh, how long this concept has been around, practicalities, how to be a vegan today and the legal case that started and,
1: and And once again, you can get this, this where it's gonna be available or if they're listening right now and they wanna pick it up, where will they be able to find the book?
0: You can find it anywhere. You can buy it in any bookshop. You can order it in any bookshop from Amazon, bookstores. Uh, uh, it's been already launched in the rest of the world in December in Europe and and, and uh is in australia is now launched in america from from the 20th of april uh that means you can already buy it from outside america if you want but if you just wait a few days or in this case you don't have to wait because it's broadcasted the same day that it's going to be made public whatever bookshop you have it actually is good that if you want it go to your local bookshop, ask for it and if you don't have it then they've ordered it and that will help more people <laughs>
1: And um, in terms of the book, I'm sure in the creation and the writing of the book, you've come across something that maybe you weren't aware of in the past. Like, What were some of the revelations that you were able to, to, to discover in the preparation and completion of the book?
0: Well, the the story, the the history of veganism, that's the thing that surprised me because I knew a little bit about it, I knew the history of the modern veganism since the vegan society was created in 1944, created this this term, and and I suspected that obviously that came from the vegetarian society that was founded in 1847, and I suspected there would be more things before that, but I didn't know why, when I looked into it. It was so interesting to see how it didn't start in a single place. I mean, sometimes people say veganism is a a thing from this culture, from that culture, from this gender. If you look back, you see the concept with different words, but the idea started uh, simultaneously without connection in different places. You have the Far East with the Taoists, the Taoists already had some of these ideas. You have in India with Jivika as a religion that lasted for many, time, many years. The Jains that still we have today, uh, start, this concept of Ahimsa. Uh, Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama, all living contemporary in India. And in the Middle East, part of the Jewish Jewish religion, the the uh, uh therapeutic in the Essenes, uh, tribal Jews, that really had some of that. I, I, even in Islam, there were important vegans, uh, Abul al al Maria, an amazing vegan poet in the in the uh, 11th century in the in the golden age of Islam. And he was totally vegan, uh, so, so that surprised me. I could find it. Anywhere. And I can imagine that it probably started also some places in America before, before the Europeans reached there, especially in Africa before the, uh, the revolution, that probably appeared there in developed societies that we don't have any trace because there's no history, even much. About it, or the historians tend to be Europeans and forget many of these things. So I wonder how many more things have happened in the history of humankind where veganism was an important part of the life of people. So that, that's what surprised me. But it's a good thing because it grounded my philosophy. It made me realize this philosophy is not just a modern thing. This thing, everywhere, is a human thing. And actually, I went back and tried to justify it also from a biological point of view. As I am a zoologist trying to explain all the, uh, the zoological and biological explanations, why we do have some parts of us have this urge to not to harm others. And so it's, it goes even beyond humans. It goes far beyond humans. When I go to the park and I see other animals approaching me, I can see in their behavior, they aim not to harm me as much as I have not to harm them. So this is a universal thing. As a, the moment that you are an animal and you have a possibility to harm, there is an urge as well to control yourself and not to do it because it will backfire. So therefore, it grounds you. It, I, I was, that what, that's what makes me to realize that veganism was so universal.
1: So, so, before we close up with our last question, I want to see um, Lauda if you had any final questions or any comments for Jordy uh, before we wrap up the the podcast.
2: He basically answered all the questions that I thought of, um, <laughs> but no, I just wanted to say it was a pleasure speaking with you, and I'm definitely, I definitely want to support you. So I'm going to get a paper back of your book. I'm going to ask for it in my local bookstore. We have a Barnes and Nobles here, so. That's going to be great. Thank you so much, Jordy.
0: That's excellent. Thanks very much.
1: And one of the things I like to do at the very end of the podcast is I like to yield the floor to the guests to say anything that's on their heart to our community. And I don't want to just restrain you to one topic or another, like anything you want to say to the South Florida vegan community or the global community that may be listening to this podcast um, now um, is your, your, your chance to do that.
0: All right. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying is applicable to all vegans because I think there is this common element in all vegans in all cultures. We manifest veganism in different ways in different places, but the belief is the same. So for me, the message is don't start with the behavior and then try to see the belief. Start with the belief. If you decide not to buy a product, not to do something, but you haven't really thought it out, you just do it because somebody else does it or because you want to follow a fashion, you're not going to last for long you will change your mind at one point because you don't have a belief that sustained a behavior. So rather than choosing not to eat animals and then think why you do it, think why you do it first. Get the philosophy first. And the more you look into the philosophy, the better the decisions you're gonna because you won't feel bad about uh, stopping using something. You will feel good, it will be a positive feedback. Sure. You will have the support of the belief reinforcing each and every decision you make. So in no point you will feel that you lost something. You always feel that you gained something. You're now are joining something bigger than just carry on as you were doing before mm-hmm. following the advice of, of people who are trying to sell you products and, and, and tell you buy this, buy that, or what society, uh, which is indoctrinating in carnism, told you that was okay to do with the animals. So when you remove yourself from that indoctrination, you have that power now to control your life. Do it properly. Learn the, the theory, learn the philosophy first. Learn about speciesism, le- le- learn about what includes, what a sentient mean why all animals include this, including humans, why it's healthier. And once you got that philosophy strong, then you can develop the behavior. You can do it step by step if you need to or, or all at once. But because the philosophy is there, even if you made mistakes, you will be able to go back and then you will become a vegan for life. What we know, what we want to, for a vegan world is vegans for life. Not people choosing a vegan meal tomorrow. Is somebody choosing a philosophy for life.
1: And th- Thank you so much, and we appreciate you. And if you're listening to this or watching this video, make sure you go out, um, get the book again one more time. What's the name of the book and, um, and where can you get it?
0: Yeah, ethical, ethical Vegan, a personal and political journey to change the world, published by September Publishing. You can get it in any place where they sell books. That's good. Spotlight commencing
3: in five four three two one i'm dina laro i'm the owner of dina's vegan deli and desserts and i'm with soflo vegans but we have a spot here if you're gonna go vegan this is the spot to come because we have the best food you can transition to i hear that people they eat our gyro and they're like there is no difference from a regular gyro well of course you gotta get the philly cheesesteak um and then you have to get the loaded fries, Philly fries. So it's French fries with the whiz, our cheese, our meat, onions, that's delicious. Um, The gyro hoagie, the boardwalk gyro, the Italian hoagie, and then can't forget about the desserts. You have the cheesecake, you have our candy bars, and you have our cupcakes, because I, I just learned how to make cupcakes, but they're really good, I'm, I hear. <laughs> you can find information about us on our website at dinasvegandeli.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Our phone number is 561-623-8643, and we're in Riviera Beach, Florida.
1: We want to thank Jordi Castanagiana for joining us, as well as the whole entire team at Dina's Vegan Deli and Desserts for hosting us. And we look forward to you finding out more about what's happening in the South Florida vegan community. The SoFlo Vegans is all about making South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. And we do that through our events, through the content that we create, the outreach and the support we provide for local businesses, nonprofits, sanctuaries, you name it. And guess what? You can join in on the action. If you want to become part of our family, our crew, go to SoFloVegans.com slash community. That's the first step to get involved and to get connected, and then from there we'll be sending out some cool emails, invitations for you to get even deeper into everything that's going on behind the scenes. If that's something you're interested in, if you like this podcast and you want to show us your support, go to sofovegans.com/support or sofovegans.com/podcast. Either place you're going to find a lot of things that you can do to support this growing community, and then we have an entire list of great episodes lined up for you guys in the weeks to come so keep checking back share this podcast let other people know the more people that listen to the more things we can do to support our community and we look forward to having you join us on our next episode